Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast, All Jargon Aside. This is a monthly podcast where we invite guests to talk about the topics where we see advertising, technology, data and science intersecting. On All Jargon Aside, our aim is to try and cut through the jargon, myths and general noise and really get to the heart of a matter. I'm Graham Wilkinson, your podcast host, and today we're going to be talking about the evolution of advertising. And our guest and subject matter expert today is... Erica Schmidt. Hi, Erica, and welcome to our podcast. Hello, Graham, and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So before we jump into things, we like to ask our guests to share a crazy but true fact about themselves. Maybe if anybody knows me and how I operate today, they might be a little surprised by the fact that I once, on my right after my 30th birthday, completed a sprint triathlon. Wow. Wow. And was that, have you done any since? Uh, no, because then I started suffering from back problems. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that once you do it, you go, okay, I've done it now. That's that's me and me and exercise done for, for life. I, I always keep yep. saying I'm going to do one. And um, to be honest, I'd probably be better putting my efforts into doing that. And then I could just stop exercising for the, for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> it could be argued that advertising predates humanity. Thinking about how a flower attracts a bee, promoting a value exchange, essentially this is still the premise of advertising today. But there have been many historic events and technological advances that have shaped the way that advertising is thought about and carried out now. From early Roman political poster campaigning, through to the inventions of the printing press, the radio, the television, the internet and social media, the list goes on. It's well documented that advertising has the potential for both good and bad, But in recent times, bad actors have brought the industry into the global spotlight for all the wrong reasons. So where does advertising go from here? In an industry estimated to be worth $1.3 trillion, being heavily scrutinized by governments and the public, are there good actors who can combine technology, data and creativity in a way that does promote a genuine value exchange? And if so, how do they do that given never before seen levels of complexity? In today's podcast, we want to discuss where advertising is really heading. Now more than ever, how does it provide maximum value for advertisers? And most importantly, the people that it's aimed at. Erica, I want to start by asking, how do you think about the practice of advertising today? I like to think of the world in kind of frameworks. And so it'd be great as a, you know, an expert, an industry leader to really get a, a feel for, for how you like to paint a picture of advertising. Sure. It's a great question, Graham, and uh, broad in scope. So hopefully I'll address it as best as I possibly can. I think the the first thing that comes to mind to me as I think through your question and have thought about your question is, is first and foremost, advertising is lifeblood for me. Uh, I've been in the industry uh, since the earliest days outside of, of graduating from, from university Uh, I started in recruitment advertising, then moved swiftly into digital advertising. And and that's been my home uh, and the place where, you know, I spend a lot of my time. Advertising, I think, is is at a a, a massive inflection point today. And I think that's perpetuated by a number of different things. First and foremost um, is the crisis that we're all facing at the moment in regards to a global pandemic. You know, there is an adage that you should never let a good crisis go to waste in terms of seeking opportunity. And what I'm finding is, is that a number of our clients and those within the industry, rather than reacting to the crisis at hand with fear and uncertainty and doubt, 
or FUD, as they say, is that they're actually saying this gives us a strategic opportunity and advantage to pivot into the way that we think about how we engage consumers and also how we um, drive business value. So that that the, the crisis has accelerated something that I think uh, and has accelerated the inflection point that we're at. And I think secondly, if you think about what's gotten us to this point is the 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 notion of data, right? So when programmatic as an advertising forum started or format started, or whether you call it a, a methodology, and, and of course, we've now put that word in the swear jar. Uh, so I'm, I'm tipping a dollar into that bucket for using the word. The whole notion was is that there were a number of key data signals that could be leveraged to more precisely and accurately target consumers. And of course, that led to a, a number of different things that happened within the industry and also, to your point, led to uh, an opportunity for bad actors to come into play and to mishandle that data or to collect data uh, without di- data privacy concerns and the consumer at its core. So I think the industry has been looking at, we understand and want to unleash the power of the data. However, we're working in an ecosystem and uh, in such where consumers do want to make sure that their privacy uh, is taken with care and with consideration. I think the second thing about advertising today and the inflection point that we're at is is that we have technology uh, that enables the transaction as well as the interaction that we have with consumers in a, in a much more meaningful way. Uh, and that technology obviously allows for uh, greater levels of automation. Uh, you certainly, as our, our innovation superhero, know that there are a number of different ways that we could be leveraging technology to be doing things differently, bringing in things like machine learning and AI. And then thirdly, I think you know, the reason that advertising is at an inflection point today is also because we have greater forms for measurement than we ever have before. If you think about the history of advertising and the classic phrase from John Wanamaker, where he said, 50% of my advertising works, I just don't know which 50% it is. Uh, you know, those the, the methodology for evaluating and understanding the efficacy of 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 advertising has always been on the on some baseline metrics around impressions delivered, or in other words, number of eyeballs delivered. Uh, when we moved into the digital ecosystem, it was about clicks and click-through rates. Uh, obviously, there are certain formats where we're able to look at transactional-level data, and we think now, and this is why I think advertising today is really at that that tipping point in our ability to to pivot it into a much more uh, meaningful and accountable format and and way of engaging with consumers is because we now have data technology and measurement in such a a useful and meaningful place that we can move away from old metrics of your into metrics that really matter. Well, that was definitely a a comprehensive um, answer to my my question. (laughs) And and look, I I think what's really interesting about how you you framed that answer is I feel like it's kind of a loop, right? I mean, you started off by saying that nothing's changed in terms of us focusing on the the consumer. That really is what advertising kind of should always have been about. Um, technology allows us to kind of get closer. Um, but really that that last point around measurement means that we can, you know, we can stop 
measuring against proxies and the closer we can get to a measurement of an outcome means that the better the the interaction a consumer would would have with advertising right so it, it's mm-hmm. it, it it really is that technology and data is allowing us to 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 do what advertising was always meant to do precisely yeah when when you know i've heard you talk about achieving accountability for advertising investment and that's the kind of um I suppose that's a spin-off from us being able to 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 measure things better. What do you know? What do you mean by achieving accountability when it comes to to advertising investment? I think there's another a number of different ways that you could look at, and the way that I look at accountability when it comes to advertising. And whilst I think that we're you know in a position to push the envelope on on that accountability, I still think that there's work to be done throughout the spectrum of what encompasses a definition of advertising. I think first and foremost is accountability is around the entirety of the ecosystem to be operating uh, with ethics and principles in mind, right? So um, one of the things that we've always applied and you know, with the advent of a, of a new entity that we've created and we've elevated that, which is you know, the ethical utilization of data and the level of scrutiny uh, that we put into uh, whether it's a third party partner or with a publisher or with a technology platform around their handling of data, the leveraging of the technology that they have uh, is, is, I think, unparalleled. And that level of accountability that we hold those, those players too is obviously something that we transfer to our clients in terms of saying, we know how important it is for you to protect your existing customers and to ensure the new customers that we help to drive uh, that everything that and, and bring into your business, that we've done that in such a way that um, makes us all feel good about it and passes the the quintessential red face test in terms of how did you drive all those conversions? So I think that's that's one element of co- accountability. I think a second level of accountability is, you know, if I think about my early days of digital and um, spending quite a lot of my time in my junior role RFPing publishers, the the notion of what they would come to you about their value proposition would be simply on the basis of traffic and simply on the basis of broad swath demographics. And today the level of accountability that we could drive towards our publisher partners to really truly demonstrate that they can bring the audiences that matter and can match the audiences that we're seeking because those are that's whom they're serving to um, is is unparalleled again uh, from the way that things have always traditionally been done. And that's not just in digital formats. And I think that's important is, is that's now moving into an ecosystem that has moved and operated and in the same way for over 50 years, and that's really the television ecosystem. And, you know, I think the, the point earlier that I made about us being at an inflection point, I think it's also really important to note, and this isn't really around accountability, but a point that I think is worth making is that um, all the definitions that we used are no longer fit for purpose, whether it was programmatic, whether it was television, what is TV today? Um, when you think especially about how we're all 
um, looking at content and, and the way in which we're operating today while we're sheltering in place or slowly moving out of sheltering in place. And then finally, I think the accountability is not only are we holding everybody with whom we engage with in the ecosystem on behalf of our advertisers to the highest of standards, not only are we uh, evaluating and demonstrating that these particular uh, publisher environments can deliver on the audiences, we've taken it to a whole new level of accountability by saying, your audiences just aren't delivering in terms of what our objectives are, which gives, uh, first and foremost, insight that they may never have had been before. Uh, some of them may not like hearing that, uh, but also offers an opportunity for a different transactional value when it comes to um, how we deliver um, impressions within the mediums that we'll be operating in. So really it's it's kind of accountability in terms of us, us being responsible as an industry and, mm-hmm. and kind of accountability in terms of, um, you know, being held accountable for delivering what we promise and being honest about about the things we did deliver if we didn't deliver what we promised um that's that's kind of the 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 summary i suppose so i just want to dig into something you did mention there in in um in in your answer and it was really about how there is this difference between how media has historically been planned and and activated or bought across different channels and the 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 way that consumers actually interact and behave and and discover content and you know i suppose it'd be nice to explain that in a way for for people who maybe don't even understand the media industry and why that gap is important and how we're going or you are going about bridging that gap sure it's a great question and i and i think a a question with merit and i think a lot of those of us who have uh, her, who are almost digital native media professionals often for have often been leaned upon by our colleagues within the the traditional uh, whatever that means today uh, advertising ecosystem to understand the traditional ways of planning uh, and have been leaned on to train them on on the new paradigms for digital not so new anymore because digital is not new uh, and I, I think what's interesting is is there is, still a lot of merit to the way that media has always been planned and purchased and activated in the traditional sense of things in the way that it's always been done. And hopefully this is in a layperson's terms as best as possible is advertisers will come to a media agency and they will say, we have a new, new product to launch. First of all, we'll understand the advertiser and the company. Let's say it's a a major CPG company. And they will say, we have this new detergent that we're launching. And this new detergent is pioneering because we are bringing in essential oils, uh, which of course are quite trendy at the moment. Uh, And it's a new power of cleaning and a new fresh smell for laundry. The advertiser will say, we think the sweet spot for our consumers are women of a certain age. Let's say it's, it's 25 to 44 uh, typically speaking, they may have a couple of children in the household, certainly, you know, have a, are married or have a partner. And they will say to the media agency, go plan and tell us where are the best places uh, to capture that consumer. And then the media agency will have uh, some selection of, of technology, but in most instances, it would have been research based, uh, where 
they would run panel surveys that would tell them about media consumption based on that particular audience. Then they would uh, take the budget, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but they would take the media budget from the client. They would say, this is where we think that we're going to get the most effective use of the advertising investment. Most of these consumers are likely to consume television during the morning hours, 8 to 10 a.m., uh, you know, the, the sweet spot of morning television, as well as some primetime viewership. These may be some categories of content that they consume. And then we'll overlay it perhaps with some print uh, and couponing in order to drive it. And, and that's really, you know, what will manifest into a media plan that will say these are the number of impressions that we're going to deliver. Uh, these are the places and spaces where your advertising will be uh, placed and we will measure on uh, a Millward Brown study, for example, that will tell us whether or not we've improved consumer awareness of your particular product or service. So that's the the standard practice that's been applied for media planning since media planning became a thing, uh, born out of uh, you know the the creative agencies and the way that they were building creative messaging. Everything has changed and has the potential to change even more because of that notion that I brought up earlier around the inflection point of advertising around data, technology, automation, uh, as well as measurement. We believe because now everything is, and there are pockets where it's not, but materially it is at the right level of penetration such that we have digital signals or real-time signals that really indicate where uh, consumers are taking in content, which formats do they typically take in content or, or absorb content or, or engage with content, and the environment in which they are more than likely to take an action that is closest to purchase as, and with e-commerce, obviously, it could be, you know, immediately. So we believe that rather than this one-time plan based on panel-based behavior and then measurement that's only on surveys, that we should be much more, and, and leverage technology to be much more dynamic, to take a deeper level of understanding uh, of the potential consumers for that particular product by leveraging data assets, whether it's past purchase behavior, uh, other types of content that are consumed, behavioral attributes, demography, of course, still comes into play, but in a, in a you know, on steroids, as it were, leveraging those data sets to help a, an advertiser to understand who their true co potential consumers are find them in the right environments and target them in those environments in a dynamic fashion and to move in a much more fluid fashion than the, the static fashion uh, of your. So it really is this kind of adaptive approach that, um, I mean, do you see it being so flexible and adaptive that it really is dynamic down to individuals or, or, or is that a, a dangerous term really where maybe it's not about attracting an individual maybe it's about attracting somebody who exhibits a certain kind of behavior does does the level of fluidity go to that that level or or it is um you know it does technology allow for that right now or 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 is that something we're working towards you know the the notion from my perspective is is most certainly we could get to the individual level no that's not personally identifiable 
that's when the consumer has opted into receiving messages from uh, different advertisers in the environments where they are consuming the content. And absolutely, we could get to the individual and that, that you know, to me, it's zeros and ones when it comes down to the way that the technology operates as to how they look at that consumer, the, where it gets naughty and ugly and where consumers get wary and we all should get wary is, is where you feel like you are getting chased uh, quite literally everywhere you are. And so that's why I am remiss to talk about the precision of, and the individuality, because I think the bad actors have, have done that in such a fashion that it does feel creepy. Uh, it does feel like your privacy is being violated. However, it, when you are able to strike the balance and give a personalized message to a consumer from a brand that they are receptive to receiving messages from, there's a lot more receptivity, number one. And number two, we know that that performs better. So it is about striking that balance. But yes, we can get to those levels of precision. We don't start strictly at the individual level. We start at the um, real consumers uh, from the data points that we have, and we cluster those, for lack of a better word, into different segments that um, we target in, in a broader fashion and then refine in that fluid and adaptive basis during the course of activation. Yeah. And and I think chasing is an interesting term because <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with you and nothing frustrates me more than either feeling like I'm being chased or that I'm being shouted at. And I think equally, they're both they're both bad practices, right? There's nothing worse than sitting watching, you know, on-demand TV um, where you're getting advertised the same, the exact same ad on every single ad break, and it's for something that you definitely would not want and doesn't apply to you. There's something equally as bad about that as there is in um, in in kind of people feeling like they're being hounded. But I think one of the things that's key for listeners to understand is that. The, the the levers that an advertiser can can pull are really dependent upon how addressable that media format is are you are you able to just talk a little bit about what addressability is and why it is important so here here's what i would say an addressability uh, i would say as a as, as a vernacular really started in in the television ecosystem just several years ago where, as I noted, uh, most television, and, and there is still the majority of television today, is, is planned and bought on uh, demography and viewership consumption. Um, so it's you know programming. So women that fall within this demography are more likely to have Hoda and Jenna on NBC on at 10 a.m. than perhaps at, you know CNN. Uh, and so that's a better place to target them. Addressability as a notion in the television ecosystem came into play when you think about that uh, most of us, although we do know that there's cord cutters, but most of us will have a set-top box within our households or several set-top boxes in your household as it's the household that I'm uh, sheltering in place in at the moment, uh, which means that we have a greater level of understanding of the consumers within that household than ever before. And so a lot of the, the major suppliers, the MVPDs, have said, okay, we will surface some data segments to you that uh, you could match to that are aligned in terms of what we're looking to target. And that's where we come into play uh, with addressability. So, of course, there is matching that will be done if possible. 
whether it's the television medium or into the digital ecosystem, uh, when you have us engaging directly with the publisher and leveraging the clean room environment or third party onboarding service to match the data sets that we are looking at to their data sets to say, okay, we now have a one-to-one deterministic match. Of course, then we could get into identity, which is a whole new, uh, a whole other kettle of fish, as they say. Uh, but what, what, we, what we deem as addressability and, and define as our purpose in terms of targeting and activation is really on the basis where we can use data sets that are built on real identity and match those two data sets in the environments that we are looking to um, deliver messaging to such that we know that we are targeting with precision and more precisely the types of consumers that we hope, uh, based on our art and science, that we hope will take the action um, that we're looking for on behalf of the advertiser. And and that ultimately allows you or us to move away from even the concepts of channels, right? Because, Because we're talking about addressing people, addressing needs, addressing behaviors, rather than saying, hey, I want to buy some television or I want to buy something of this thing because I think it will get to this person. And I think you at Matakind are taking a, a, a progressive approach, in my opinion, where you know channels are taking a step back and and really focusing on this idea of addressability and, 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 and a channel-less world. Absolutely. And I think that's it's an exceptionally important point. And maybe maybe what would be best just to echo your commentary, which is very articulate, which is around um, when you work in a channel by channel way, which is always how it's been done. uh, And even, you know, in many ways, we are still doing uh, what you're saying is, is how does this channel perform in comparison to others? So a case in point is, is we may have a display budget. And we would be evaluated, that display budget would be evaluated in comparison to the delivery of social and search. Now, if I think about my standard, quote unquote, consumer journey, it doesn't, I don't only use one channel to make my decision around what I am going to purchase. So for example, uh, you know, there's several dogs in this house, which is amazing. One of the dog beds is in the house my dog absolutely adores and you know you will play with it he is dragging it across the floor he's jumping into it it's become a battle with the 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 other dog who actually it's his bed so i said all right i have to get one of these beds for my dog fritz so the first thing that i do is is i search right and so then you know i'm consuming a number of different um websites that are either evaluating the best dog beds or similar dog beds, which actually also have the merit of reducing dog anxiety. Uh, And then, you know, I flick through my Instagram feed and then, you know, I'm reading uh, my daily candy, which is the daily mail. And uh, of course, then I'm receiving messages in there. At the end of the day, the the credit would be given to search if if I make a purchase. Yes, there are signals that are shared between search and social and even display. However, we think that it's always been done in silos. And we're looking to break down the silos of channel definition and the silos of uh, whom is getting the credit amongst those channels by really focusing on uh, the, the 
targeting the consumer with precision and with care and with kindness, I might add, and also ensuring that um, and, and demonstrating that it's not one channel will deliver it all, that it's about the amalgamation of those touch points and delivering the messages in the right touch points that will drive to the conversion, as it were. And that is so important because, you know, in your example, when, when we set out on, a, on, on the purchase of a dog bed, in all honesty, I don't care whether I'm searching, whether I'm on social media, I just, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm on an e-commerce, I, I want to find the answer to my question. If the answer is to buy something, if the answer is to, to, to learn something, then it, you know, that's kind of irrelevant. It's just that I don't really care. I just want that answer. And so we as marketers and advertisers have to kind of stop thinking about these channels in silo, as you said, and start thinking about how does this person, how do this group of people, how do they get to this answer? How do we give them the answer in the best way possible? And that is really key. I do have to say, though, that I um, for those listening, myself and Erica are both dog lovers and, and I have three dogs and I've been down this, this route of ordering dog beds that are the, the same because, <laughs> um, they always get in each other's. And what I've learned is that even when you buy them all the same bed, they all want to just get in the other's bed. It, it really <laughs> makes no difference whatsoever. <laughs> well, you're saving me money now, Graham. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Glad I could be of help. Um, okay. So, I think we've kind of covered a huge amount of ground there on this topic. You know, we've gone from the key elements of advertising and what, what's important to the future of advertising, what's important to the consumer, how we can be responsible. And I think that gives us a really good idea of where advertising is ultimately headed and, um, you know, and, and how it is evolving. So every episode, we like to have a bit of fun and test our guests on their knowledge of a topic with a lightning jargon round. This week, we are calling, in honor of the launch of your business, Erica, Matterkind, we are calling it, Does It Really Matter To Be Kind? So you will be given a question with multiple choice answers, and um, I'm hoping that somebody keeps record of the score. <laughs> okay. So the, the first question is, and I know that you're a, a fan of Latin, as am I. So what is the Latin origin of the word matter? Is it A, materia, B, matero, C, atari? Oh, Graham, you are testing. I hated Latin, by the way. And I, I had to do it till I was 16. And I just hated learning vocabulary. But Hey. Yeah, you know, I hated Latin when I did it in in high school, and it wasn't until I went to college and I had a, a, a Latin professor who pronounced it in Italian and spoke it that made me uh, appreciate it a lot more. Uh, I will go with C. I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to go with C. So it's actually a materia, which um, means the woody part of a tree. And I know, honestly, I would have had no clue about that at all, even though I did Latin. <laughs> so second question. And um, it's not really a question, this. It's kind of more of a, um, I suppose, an activity round. <laughs> so you, you have 30 seconds to list as many synonyms for the word kind as possible. Okay. Synonyms for kind. Well, I would say first, caring. Second, I would say thoughtful. Thirdly, I would say empathetic. Uh, fourthly, I would say sympathetic. I would also say um, giving someone, and this isn't a synonym, but when I think about being kind, 
it's giving one space. Um, and I, and I love that notion of allow people to express themselves and not interject with your thinking, but just to create and give space. Uh, okay. You got five there. Awesome. Okay. The next question. Matakind was launched externally on May the 5th this year. And so we're going to test your knowledge of notable May 5th dates throughout history. So which of these events happened on May the 5th? A, 1967, the Outer Space Treaty comes into force. B, 1973, Secretariat wins the Kentucky Derby. What year for Secretariat? 1973. Nope, definitely not. And then C, 2006, Michelle Bachelet is inaugurated as the first female president of Chile. Let's go with C. You you were right when you dug into Secretariat. But I watched that movie. It wasn't in the 70s. Anybody who listens to this regularly will know that I, I always check in with the researchers because I they, they they pulled out the answers and I, I don't know. I presume, I just assume that they're right. <laughs> <laughs> So the last round is just a little bit of fun with word association. So I want you to say the first thing that comes into your head as quickly as you can when you hear the following words. Ad tech. Commoditized. Matter. Matterhorn. Programmatic. Swear jar. Work. At home. Leadership. Stewardship. Kind. Thoughtful. Marketing. Swear jar. Innovation. Agility. Oh, I thought you were going to say Graham there. Um, <laughs> people. <laughs> the last one is people. Person. So in the spirit of us creating a quiz, which is impossible to score, um, I've been told that you actually achieved a score of 1,173, which is our highest score so far. So <laughs> congratulations. Okay, so that's nearly all we have time for today. But before we go, I'd like to ask you one more question, Erica. I think it's important in the advertising industry to enjoy good advertising. So What's your favorite ad at the moment or of all time? I will still go back to my favorite ad of all time is the Coca-Cola Hilltop ad. Good choice. Good choice. And and I also like when um, Google did a reboot of, of that ad in, in kind of digital format. And, and that was, to me, it, it was one of the things that really inspired me and, and wanted me to go further in, in the advertising industry. So I think that is definitely a really good choice awesome so that's all we have time for today i'd like to thank erica for being a fantastic guest and joining us thank you as a reminder all jargon aside is a monthly podcast so keep your eyes and ears peeled for our next episode if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything we discussed today you can reach us at all jargon aside at kineso.com or use the hashtag all jargon aside or you can reach me on the twitter handle at wilkie graham And if you like our podcast, remember to rate, review and share us. I've been your host today. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 